Welcome to the second episode of the Story Smith podcast. I'm your host, Faison Lay. Last episode, we ended by reading the introduction to Stephen King's Night Shift, written by John D. MacDonald. In there, he mentioned the importance of story, more precisely, how plot and character mingle. Many people nowadays consider character to be the most important element of the novel, movie, TV show, comic, etc. However, Mr. MacDonald, whom, as we mentioned, was one of the most successful fiction authors of his time, seemed to have been an advocate of story superiority. So, which is more important, plot or character? If you chose plot, you are unfortunately incorrect. But contrary to popular belief, by only a small margin, plot and character are almost interchangeably important. I say almost for one reason. If the title of today's episode confused you and hopefully intrigued you, it is because it conveys a simple truth about storytelling. Your characters are the soul or souls of your story, but the plot is the way they evolve, the way they act. You can't have a soul without somewhere to exist and something to do. Likewise, there's no point in having a pathway with no soul to walk it. So both your plot and character are vital to the story. The only reason why character is more important is because they often are carving out the path they walk. The soul who walks the path, as most will agree, tends to be more interesting than the path itself. But this raises another question. How do we get our characters to walk their paths properly without having them go off it and walk in the wrong direction? To illustrate further, let us take a brief look at which techniques music and story share. Section 1. Contribute to the total. Artists, in our case storytellers and musicians, must create works that are not independent from the next page or the next note. What does this mean? Every line you type Every note you produce, every detail you provide in your work must work in tandem with the rest of the piece. All great music has instrumentals, often accompanied by human vocals, that work together without feeling forced or put in as an afterthought. Have you ever tried listening to a song and tapping your foot to it, only to realize that the rhythm to which you tap your foot unconsciously corresponds to changes in the music? even though the pace and rhythm at which you tap your foot isn't obviously in tune with the song you are listening to? If not, I apologize for confusing you. Regardless, your story should work in the same way. Everything about it, the characters, the plot, the tone, the world, should all be harmonizing around a single tune, if you will, around a theme or a particular question that it seeks to answer. Then you place your characters, not on a straight single path, not even on one that winds and bends. You put them in a maze of paths, one that has about a thousand exits, and you let them find their way. What are the differences between a good character and a bad one? It's quite simple, really. A bad character is not human. A bad character always wins. A bad character becomes one with the path 
instead of walking the tangled web of ways that you as the writer open up for them to choose. Bad characters don't contribute to the whole, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, they are the only piece of the whole. Let's look at these dictum in a little more detail. First, a bad character is not human. To explore this statement, you would have to answer what it means to be human, and as much as I would love to talk about that question for the rest of the episode, this is a podcast for writers, not philosophers. Do you agree or disagree with what I just said? Good. That means you're human. Human characters have beliefs that differ from those of others in the story. They have histories and opinions vastly different from one another. They have ways of acting that can't be described in a single sentence, like, I'm an edgy badass, or I'm a beautiful teenage girl who's not like other girls. Their ways of acting are rooted in the things they've experienced, and the things they are experiencing on the path you have put them on. If you feel as though your characters are shallow, put yourself in their shoes, then poke your character with a sharp blade. There's a reason why most stories give their characters tragic backstories. It's because tragedy is a central part of human existence, and having a character who has no tragedy, no regrets, no pain, no anger, no sadness, past or present, is painfully bland. Second, a bad character always wins. I'm sure you've heard of a Mary Sue. If not, a Mary Sue is the generic name given to characters who always win, who are loved by everyone, and who are flawless in almost every way, if not every damn way possible. Why are these characters bad? Going back to point one, they simply aren't characters at this point. What is the definition of a character? The Cambridge Dictionary gives these definitions. The particular combination of qualities in a person or place that makes them different from others, and a person represented in a story. Emphasis goes to the word person used in both definitions. People don't always win. We lose, and we lose, and we lose. Once in a while, we'll win. Some win enough to pursue their dreams and do what they love. But most of us lose and get up, and lose. And by then, some don't get up. If you want your character to be a person, to live and breathe in the reader or viewer's mind the way they live and breathe in yours, they must be that. A person. A flawed human being who loses, but one who gets up again and again. Name me one great story in which the main character doesn't get up and keep going despite their losses. Most, if not all, great stories involve perseverance. Maybe perseverance isn't the main theme, but I assure you, it's in there. A story that has no worth is a story that has no element of perseverance. No message to push on, to keep going, to pursue something, to fight, or to love, or to hate. The best and simplest way to formulate a protagonist and antagonist, that I have heard of at least, is to ask yourself these four simple questions. For the protagonist, ask yourself, what does the main character want? How far are they willing to go to get it? 
for the antagonist, ask, how far are they willing to go to stop the main character? And why do they want to stop them? Of course, there are far more questions to ask with regards to your story than just those four. But answering those four will give you a solid basis. Specific and realistic motives to delegate to the characters would be the first step. Everything else comes down to raw practice and a gluttony for knowledge of the craft. As to which one you should start with, plot or character, only someone who is either a pretentious, self-assured egotist or a plain ignoramus would dare to be arrogant enough to tell you which one to start with. It's your story. Regardless of how awful or brilliant it is, as long as you put your heart into it, a piece of yourself that bleeds onto the pages, you will find joy in it. And after that, the only thing left for you and I to do is to strive to improve. So then, what if you want to start with plot? Well, this would normally involve a little more foresight than starting with characters. Perhaps having key events that happen in the story mapped out, then putting characters, human characters, mind you, in said events to see how they react would be the simplest and most effective way to start. Maybe you could think of a better way. If you find that all the characters you have react the same way to the events you outline, it may be either that the event is not very impactful, or, more likely, the characters need more individualization. Plot superiority advocates should be mindful of the largest pitfall of starting with your plot in mind. Your people should not be blown about by the plot. The first novel I ever wrote had this, and a plethora of other problems, throughout its narrative. It felt as though my characters had no say or initiative in what was happening to them until the final act. This led to it feeling uninteresting, as the characters became one with their path, as it were, just going with it and having little to no say in how the story changed. It may not be obvious that this is happening or not in your story at first. This is one of the reasons why I always admonish new writers to start by writing their third or fourth favorite idea. Save your favorite ideas for later, when you have more experience. Trust me when I say, it will save you the pain of a rewrite. But what if you aren't sure where to start with your ideas in the first place? Section 2. Characters who need a start. What of characters whose path you aren't sure of? What of paths whose souls you cannot seem to find? For these two issues, there are a few ways to fix them. The only tangible one being to just sit down and write. Let your character find a way, or let a character stumble across your path. Another tip I can give you, though this will not apply to every writer, is to start outlining. Unfortunately, some feel physically ill at the thought of outlining, myself included, but there are some who may think that at first, and go on to find outlining to be a great source of help. Briefly, let's go over what an outline is and what it isn't. An outline can be a range of forms of preparation for a story, from writing a few bullet points to cover in the story, to writing three-step narratives for each chapter as you come across them, to having a whole blueprint for your story. The extent to which you outline is really up to you. 
What isn't an outline? An outline is not a prism, a ball and chain, or a path so straight and rigid that you grow bored walking it. Don't let an outline sap the joy out of your writing. Sometimes it is good to change what you thought should happen to what you want to happen. If you feel bored writing something, chances are your readers will too. What if you can't stand outlining? Well then, it's very simple. Steel. Perhaps steel is a strong word. Take a bite out of the cookie, then put it back in the bag. That's a better way to put it. Don't plagiarize, of course, but don't feel bad to draw inspiration from your favorite movies, books, or comics. Take what others have done and twist it to how you would have done it. Of course, this isn't a good plan for the long run, but using this method to get you started is better than not starting at all, by an infinite amount. But this raises yet another question. Once you start, how long do you stick to the story? How do you know if the characters and the paths they walk are good enough to keep exploring? When do you have to let go and move on? Assuming that you are in a consistent writing schedule that equals around five hours of writing a week, there are some things to bear in mind with regards to letting go of the story. Section three, let's go second. Do not be quick to abandon a story, regardless of its form. A novel, screenplay, comic, whatever it is, you have to make sure you aren't abandoning it out of pure laziness. How do you know if it is laziness? The first sign is that you aren't sticking to your writing schedule. You aren't reading enough is the second one, and the third one is that you find yourself playing video games or watching YouTube during the time you have set aside for writing or learning how to write. Or perhaps you just don't feel like writing because it's too much effort to sit down and use your brain for an hour. However, if you are certain your desire to abandon the story isn't based on laziness, you must then consider one major question before letting your story go: Has it let go of you? If the characters aren't speaking to you any longer, aren't a fragment of your mind or an attempt to encapsulate the mind of someone else. Or they aren't coming to your mind throughout the whole day because you find them boring. Then let them go. If the plot is boring and not going where you thought it would, but you like the people in it, take your characters elsewhere. But if you dislike both, abandon it. On the other hand, of abandoning a story too quickly, the opposite and far rarer mistake is to stick with one book for far too long. One of the mistakes we spoke about in the first episode of this podcast. Spending years writing a single novel is just a sad thought, unless you want to just write whenever and just for the hell of it. I've seen far too many people who spend years, even decades, revising one book, never getting anywhere with it. It is better to write five books in five years than one in the same amount of time. Another trap of year-long revising is that one can quickly drain all the life from their story by editing it endlessly. But if you want to really improve, if you want your stories to have an impact on the world, even in some small way, and perhaps even make money from them, you cannot afford to spend more time than is necessary on them. Each book is a learning curve, 
and every book you write will be better than the last if you apply yourself. However, the best way to learn to write books is to actually finish them. Writing a few pages of a book or a few chapters, or even half or two thirds of a book before abandoning it, will not help you improve as much as if you were to finish it. So be mindful to not abandon a story at any given chance. It will only hinder your progress. In closing, I would like to read a poem by Charles Bukowski called "So You Want to Be a Writer." This is going to be a slightly shortened version. This poem, while being popular and containing significant truths, has some arguable flaws and thoughts that are misinterpreted. So let us look at it together and briefly take a look at what these flaws are. So you want to be a writer, by Charles Bukowski. If it doesn't come bursting out of you. In spite of everything, don't do it, unless it comes unasked out of your heart and your mind and your mouth and your gut. Don't do it. If you have to sit for hours staring at your computer screen or hunched over your typewriter searching for words, don't do it. If you're doing it for money or fame, don't do it. If it's hard work just thinking about doing it, don't do it. If you're trying to write like somebody else, forget about it. If you have to wait for it to roar out of you, then wait patiently. If it never does roar out of you, do something else. Don't be like so many writers. Don't be like so many thousands of people who call themselves writers. Don't be dull and boring and pretentious. Don't be consumed with self-love. The libraries of the world have yawned themselves to sleep over your kind. Don't add to that. Don't do it, unless it comes out of your soul like a rocket, unless being still would drive you to madness or suicide or murder. Don't do it, unless the sun inside you is burning your gut. Don't do it. When it is truly time, and if you have been chosen, it will do it by itself, and it will keep on doing it until you die, or it dies in you. There is no other way, and there never was. Now, why do I say it is arguably flawed? For one reason, almost every writer has struggled to write at some point or another. I believe the point Mr. Bukowski was making is that one should not force themselves to write for motives other than love for the craft. But if you genuinely love writing, don't be discouraged when words fail you. Or the paths you put your people on hit dead ends, or your characters leave you with nothing in return. You just keep going. If you love the craft, you won't have any other choice. In the next episode, we will be looking at how we can write real, intriguing, and multi-dimensional characters in a little more detail. I want to thank you for choosing to spend some of your time here with me today, learning about our mutual love that is art. And how we can all improve our work and our lives on a daily basis. I'm Faison Lay. This is the Storysmith Podcast, and until next time, keep forging the art you love.